right, so welcome back. We are going to go through like 10 pages today, so <laughs> get ready for like... I don't believe you, stop reading. Well, like very fast, you know. All right, so we are... I have to look where we are. You turn my pages. <laughs> Wait for a while. We're at the top of 297. Awesome. Yeah, right here. Yeah. Did we finish the book last week? <laughs> <laughs> Don't tease me because I can choose that bigger book. <laughs> And we will be here like to the end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are on page 297 and uh, up. It's very, very nice part now. It's coming. I like that, so please. Okay. The spiritual state of a monk who has seen the fall of human nature, who is not deceived by lies of the passing world, but who completely directs his soul's gaze to this fall is vividly expressed in lamentations of the prophet Jeremiah, who gave himself up completely to deep mourning in total solitude. All of Jerusalem's hope has been lost and all possible deliverance is vain. All that remains is to weep for Jerusalem. At one time, the prophet instructed the city with his prophetic word that could not be silenced. Now there is not even anyone left to hear these prophetic words. Not only are there no people left, there are not even any buildings, only ruins are left. Ruins that are only useful as stages for weeping. No one understands these tears and there is no need to worry that they be comprehensible to people. Through them, the prophet expresses his unspeakably heavy sorrow they echo through the desert of Jerusalem's ruins. Only God in heaven hears them. What a horrible state. He is the only one in the massive ruins of the city. He is the only living man among the abundant dead signs and witnesses of a past life. He is the only one living in the land of death. As one living, he gives voice to his sorrow for the loss of life. He calls this life to return to the houses it has left to replace the horrifying, unfeeling death all around him. Isn't it beautiful? This, uh, I, I mean, this description, because uh, when uh, I really, this was first time when I read, when I read Branch, I know, this description of monastic state, of state monastics, because, well, until now, I, I read so many things and definitions, and but I think this is the most perfect description. What does it mean to be a monk? There may be reason why people enter the monastic state, and uh, it it might be he he talks about Jeremiah prophet and this his vision, this prophecy that he was standing alone in the ruins of Jerusalem, that city, that people, and he was standing there crying. 
and uh, this is some and and look i think that you have this experience that the more you are trying to go closer to god you are trying to purify your heart somehow you you feel with intensity this uh, this fullness of the world you can you can see that well this is not right this is not right this is not right and really we are sad when we see that we are not happy and and really sometimes you can have this feeling that i am standing you know i am in the middle of ruins middle of of uh, world which is destroyed by sin and and sometimes you it's 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 horrible to feel that and and i think more we are going going uh, closer to god more we feel that and as uh, we will continue but even like now it is in these words it is something what is this uh, description of monk monk means alone person who is alone but still monk is not the one who lives in isolation from the world he is alone because he sees world as it is and he's wailing crying over world and and the role of monks is like salvation of our own soul plus to pray for the world for everybody and everything and there is like saying uh well there is saying in the manatos among monks they say uh this old saying that until there are monks and manatos world will be world when there are no monks it means they mean that that if there are not people who are praying for the world world will end be destroyed and they don't literally mean the monks and manatos they, they mean this until there's this monastic like vocation uh these nuns and monks who during when they sleep they they spent uh, night in prayer praying for whole world and, and oh sorry sorry, sorry. it's okay sorry. in some way in some way this is correct description you know there's something what what we uh, have to appreciate in monks but well not only appreciate but uh, in some way to imitate them in the those limits which uh, uh, are given for us through our vocation through our state and through our possibilities because for sure we cannot live in a world like this monastic life as those monks in the uh, in the monastery or um uh, skits or whatever it is okay so so it means so it means that we hearing that i think that 
it's not only push towards grow more, but it is like encouragement in this not to despair. We might see a lot of um, crisis in the church, in the world, many things which we are disappointed that uh, um, and, and, and activities that e you cannot believe in. Uh, like with Miron, we were talking today about some kind of church stuff and um, and like conclusion came to well if if this continues we are going to die mm -hmm. you know we are going to die if this continues if, if we don't do something something happens we are going to die so but but well even in that moment when we are that so we have to remember that or to imitate this Jeremiah who was in the middle of that city and was crying to God. Never, never, we should never go to despair. Craig? I'm just kind of curious when you were talking about that. As far as the, <coughs> the Old Testament, were the Old Testament monks, you know, was John the Baptist a monk? Is that how the apostles learned how to, you know, start these different monasteries? These different, no, 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 no. I was just kind of curious how that all got started. Well, because they all retreat to solitude. Christ would retreat to retreat to solitude. Well, they were. Uh, I think that I don't know if it's true. Patrick can help me. That uh, Saint John belonged to Mount Essence. Essence. Yeah, Essence. Essence. Mm -hmm. You know, but but this was. You cannot compare it to monastic state. Right. Similar, mm -hmm. but well, and actually monasticism was not uh, created by apostles. You know that uh, the first like, like father of monastic life was Saint Anthony Great or Macarius, mm -hmm. you know the Great, and um, I think that. Uh, among uh, from women, it was Sinclotica and uh, uh, Macrina, and also that uh, among ladies. But even they, they didn't start. They didn't go to desert to start monastery. They just left the world because they they felt that in the city they are not able to reach this perfectness mm -hmm. of gospel. And one thing is that <coughs> if you can notice that, well, in the verse you have these three vows, purity, chastity, and obedience. And But if you go through these first years of monastic life and years, centuries you cannot find these walls there because they they it was natural that each christian is supposed to live that you know so they just wanted to try to live it in perfect way so there are no walls until and i think in this authentic 
uh, uh, eastern monasteries which they keep there are no vows you you enter the monastery to live angelic life keeping gospel in fullness and and so so monastery is not some uh, something happened well and both east and west slowly it became like institution there was need for rules uh, you know and some kind so when this entered so then many things came which made this distinction between uh, uh, Christians who, uh, who live in the world and and those who are monks and nuns but before it was more are we are Christians who decided to live perfectness in solitude and it started to grow in this way and it was fourth century so even even like that what we see so there is a message for us that we should not see monastic life like something what is like uh, very far from us or something no we all are invited to live in some way monastic life because monastic life is not some kind of special life it is living of gospel while in special location special uh, outside of city you know you go out from the city and you're searching for perfectness but it doesn't mean that if I have my vocation in the world if I have yeah, I, I have to my state if I'm married I have family and so yes I have to stay in the in the world uh, so it uh, so it means that I am I'm searching for the same goal there's no other world. gospel is the rule for life for all Samuel this is a question I've been trying to put into words <clears throat> And the way he said this sort of brought this out. The, the monk is a sign of contradiction. Yeah. Um, so his tears are expressing reality, and the world doesn't recognize it. Correct. And uh, especially to our modern ears, we don't like to hear that um, because, you know, you know, to sum it up, we say our Lord Jesus came to save the world. Um, but if the monk is standing outside the city and crying over it, that means the city can't be saved. Um, uh, like the, in the sense of it being the world, the spirit of the world is yeah. at enmity with Christ. Um, and um, so the monk doesn't despair because he has hope in uh, its hope of heaven um, but it's hard to convey that to the world that wants to see like progress they want to see um, social momentum they want to see uh, Christendom in like a earthly sense they want to see establishment of earthly reign but it's almost like um, you know, to, to, to try to be, to try to bring that together with this perspective of the monk, it seems 
um, it's like it's difficult. Like um, I'll put it, well, the one question I got. Like um, before the fall, God gave us paradise, um, but uh, that wasn't forever either, right? Like so, even that was to point us to uh, eternal happiness in heaven. Um, but there's like still a we're still supposed to live here and um, live for God's kingdom so um, I just see a tension there well yeah well I think that it would be wise now what would bring more light to understand what these holy fathers mean if they are talk if they are using word world you know because me, many times we when we say world so we uh, many times we see all this society which surrounds us but if they are talking about world so they mean under that two uh, things the first all external impulses which come through our senses to our heart and trigger our passions or form us in negative way. So everything that is world. And the second meaning, what they mean, the world, it is this inner state of our heart which is formed by passions. With these movements which uh, try to rule over us and they push us to to uh, satisfy their desires. So they don't see, uh, they see creation as a God's creation, as a good thing, you know, but they see that all this creation was tainted, well, paint, tainted? Tainted. Tainted by, by this fall and it is broken. But uh, the, I, I would say that they, they don't like if like Holy Father they are talking about this world they are we have to be very careful they are not like uh, make judgment over like society as a whole they are saying about okay this world is source of this all these uh, impulses because of this fall state, which can attack my soul, they attack soul of others, and they force the person to act not correctly. So we're talking about spiritual reality. Yes, I would, I, I would, I would take this this way because uh, this was this was quite difficult question for me. You know that that. Um, it is, it is really to run away from the world. It means from everything, everybody, you know. Well, it is true that it's important if you want to live this perfectness. But you are living the world just because the world is filled with these impulses which can uh, trigger these passions in you. So you protect yourself. Does it make sense? So, so 
uh, even we, if we uh, are vigilant and we see what is going, going in the world, we can see activity of some people. And if this activity causes that, well, in my heart, passions are like ignited, kindled. So I, I know that, well, the world lives in this person. Because if I belong to Christ, not to this world, so then what coming out from me inspires others for these uh, higher things. So, so and, and in that point, yes, I can see that person is, uh, I can see him like he was pointing that he's dead. There is no life in this person because uh, Christ is not living in this person. Yes, we, we can be like in this, among these ruins, it means that this, this um, society filled with people who are run by passions can create this image of that city. It's, there is, we go there and, and uh, we, are, we are not uplifted, we are pulling down. And in the midst of this, that city or this, like, this picture, we don't make judgment and we like all these people, but we start to cry to God for help, for his grace, for forgiveness. Does it answer your question? I saw it too as, you know, in a way, how it pertains to us, like that weeping is really about our own brokenness. Like, that city of Jerusalem was ruined in us and that we have that yeah. tear or even you know, one recognizing brokenness, but even yeah, at least in the work I do, You're seeing that brokenness yeah. on so many different levels that it, in a way, is spiritually overwhelming where it's like I have to simply realize like God is in control of that. This is a very good point you made. And, and, and you are right. Thank you for that. Because monks, they go to save their souls. So they are fighting for that. But there is, it's, it's beautiful how God arranged that. That the more I concentrate on my soul, I solish my soul. More, peop more people, more creation on me, is uplifted. And and we can see this in life of saints. We can see that 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 uh, um, be good. Uh, now, if there are visitors who come to visit the Kalia of Saint Paisi from Anatos. So usually these monks who are guides, they point to trees around. And you can still see that these little branches, once wind broke them or storm, this monk, you know, he fixed that, he put like 
wire around because he couldn't he he had pity over this little br branch you know so now it is like almost uh, this wire is almost inside of wood but this is happening that more i'm going uh, uh, even more i'm crying on myself naturally i am transformed and my mercy or this this mercy my merciful heart and love i am getting it's spreading around me i cannot help myself i'm just doing these things so you are right first it is this inner jerusalem which is rebuilt and uh, but with that together goes like this outside activities many times we are not aware of no, but it's natural we are coming. It is high, high level <laughs> and challenge. You know, when I was reading this, it, it kind of hit me that you could put Jesus in the monk's place. That you know for our deadness and our sins that he's crying over Jerusalem that he's crying over us the you know uh, us as the people of Israel that when we sin that 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 causes a lot of sure. what this is right there <laughs> sure 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 but I think in this in this part yes we can apply for for sure but I think his intention was to invite us to uh, because it's easy to, uh, and many times we can do this that we, uh, and correctly, we see Christ as a example, as a high priest who does that. And many times uh, happens that uh, we see him as a dead one who suffered and and. I mean, so we are putting on him everything and we do nothing almost, almost nothing right. you know so we have to be aware that uh, yes but that there is this big part we are supposed to cry over our sins yes we, we depend on his mercy his love, compassion everything but, but these tears uh, because we start to see our fallen state has to come from us. This is like uh, activation of grace, I would say. Not correctly, theologically, but I call it this way. <laughs> you know. Good. I wanted to go through through <laughs> ten pages and <laughs> look. And then you complain. <laughs> There's so many questions. <laughs> Sorry. It was great. So let's continue. How lonely sits the city that was so full of people. How like a widow is she, who was great among the nations. The princess among the provinces has become a slave. The prophet represents the mind of the monk who is enlightened by the revelation of God's teaching. The great city is mankind <coughs> created by God. The inhabitants of the city are the qualities of the soul and body. The Babylonian, 
Babylonians are the demons who were far below mankind in his pristine state and have become his masters after his fall. The monk himself is in a fallen state, as is all of mankind. Therefore, he weeps for himself and for all mankind. But the monk weeps alone because he alone, in the light of the word of God, he sees the fall of mankind. All other men do not see this, do not take part in the monk's tears, do not understand his weeping and consider him to be insane. The monk cries alone on behalf of himself and all mankind, unable to separate himself from mankind because of the love he has for them and because of the blood he shares with them. The monk weeps for himself and for all mankind. He weeps for our fallen nature common to all. He alone weeps on the unfeeling ruins among the fallen rocks and boulders, which represent the image of mankind that is stricken with lack of feeling. Humanity does not feel or understand its own fall and eternal death, pays no attention to them at all. The monk weeps alone, and only God understands his tears. It's beautiful description. What does it mean to be a monk? I like that. And, uh, um, when I was when I was making this preparation for that, I was reading like uh, studying Isaac Syrian, like in both ways. And actually, when I came to this part, uh, I went to uh, part in Isaac Homilies when he says this that what does it mean word monk in Syriac language that in Syriac, Syriac language meaning for monk it's translation that that one who cries who laments who is who has contrition in heart that one it's it's beautiful uh, name for monk for that who decided and uh, so monk is it means that it is a person who is aware of own sinfulness weakness sin and that one who has desire for fullness of life which is in God and because of that he begs for God's mercy and not only for himself but for whole world um, uh, there's a patriarch Gregor of Pater Antiochia I think he died recently oh, a few years ago I'm not sure now but he said that uh, that uh, that we all are called to be monks. That this this word for monks is Greek monach, monachos, and it means one or whole, you know. And we all are invited to this wholeness of of life. And um, he says that. Well, I, I'm going to read that. He says that this un unity, this wholeness of our being, we can see in three aspects. It is this 
unity with myself. It means that I put these faculties of my soul to order. It means that not body is ruling to me, not soul is ruling, but knows this highest level of uh, our being, that, that I put my being to harmony. This is unity with myself. <clears throat> and this brings unity with God. Because if I do this, so they, I'm, I'm starting to, uh, well, it, it is visible in me, this likeness with God. If, if this is there, so then unity with my neighbors can come. You know, that, that I, am, uh, I am really uh, neighbor to my neighbor. <laughs> because uh, all these like false impulses and desires and, uh, are gone. It is just almost pure love, which I have. So, and this is gospel. This is not some kind of uh, something what is written in some kind of in, uh, instructions for monastic life. This is something what gospel asks us to do. So, this is why this patriarch Gregor, he says that we all are called to be monks, even if we are not called to live in monasteries. And uh, this is something that uh, it's a little bit forgotten in uh, in this world, and not because of us. But I think this this was sure centuries somehow was this gap was was created that monastic life or something different, uh, others not. Uh, and and because of that, uh, uh, probably we stopped to expect some kind of perfectness for us because we say we are not those in black robes. So while those in black robes they are expected to be, but we we are not. And this is a mistake. I think that this is. I would say that uh, now when this, this preparation for the Synod, you know, in this, uh, and we are supposed to give this um, uh, suggestion, I think this would be the best suggestion to rediscover what does it mean to be a Christian. And to return back to this understanding of Holy Fathers. Maybe if uh, the result of this our calling is uh, if church would invite us and let, uh, would lead us to create a monastery from our houses. Hermitage is if we are single, to invite and to help us to live monastic life, even we, if we are in the world. Because it doesn't mean nothing also just to live Christian life. This would be great. If sin comes and it's a conclusion it would be we challenge you and we are going to lead you and to show you the way to this Christian perfectness. It would be a revolution on this earth.
All right. Nobody wants to ask how to build a monastery home? <laughs> Start praying. <laughs> sure. All right, let's continue. She weeps bitterly in the night throughout our earthly life, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. In order to weep tears for God, one must leave behind the world and other people to die for the world and for all people, to become solitary in heart and mind. Leaving all cares behind will help you come closer to the city of worldlessness. If you will not listen to yourself, then you will enter it. If you will die for all men, then you will become the inheritor of this city and its treasures, said Barsinopius the Great to a monk who he was preparing for silence and an arithmetic life in a cell tomb, that beloved home of prayerful sorrow. Yeah. So we should not forget that we are still in chapter on tears. We are talking about tears and, well, he, he goes um, uh, deeper uh, how is to understand tears, uh, how it is that he said that um, in order to weep tears for God, one must live behind the world and other people and to die for the world and for all people. This condition. And uh, uh, how to, under and, and it, it, it might, well, we can think of all this very hard condition. It's something that is difficult, but actually, we must to do if we want to enter to this life with, with God. Um, uh, this uh, Athanasius of Alexandria, he uh, uh, wrote in uh, this life of Saint Anthony the Great. Um, he, there's a part, and he's talking about three. Um, consequences of of sin he says that the first like impact of sin on human being was that that mind but was was weakened that stopped to work correctly that the second impact was that the mind that knows uh, identified or went down on a level of intellect and gave rule to intellect. It means that gave intellect the authority to rule over our life. So it means that in this way, he, um, the news was refused God. Because this, the, the highest this faculty or being is for communication with God. When this news was darkened by sin, so he stopped to see God. So he turned to to intellect, and he gave and and gave in. He gave to intellect this 
rule or or a being. Um, does it make sense? So far. And because of that, uh, uh, human being is not able to make discernment what is coming to to inside uh, of senses or what is born inside of heart. And because of that, uh, he gives himself to passions and this desire of passions. Um, and, uh, and in this way, we are off totally. And uh, so Christian life means that, uh, that, 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 that that main phase of our life is is journey uh, to reach purification of heart and mind. And uh, it means to, to go back to the state uh, which God gave to us uh, when we were created. And when we, when we walk on this path, slowly we start to discover the beauty uh, which God gave to us. We cannot see it uh, before, but more we are like crying and and trying to walk on this path and and cry and we are crying we are we are lamenting over our state and begging God for help. More we are going to to this purity of life. Um, and it reminds me like a little child, you know, when a baby is hurted somehow and start to cry and runs towards parents, cry, 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 and, and then on his hands of parents, cry is slowing, dying, dying, dying. And when the baby is really, uh, feels that he's safe in the arms of parents, he stops to cry and even start to smile and laugh. And this is, this is our journey in spiritual life. We are hurted by sin and we run towards our Father crying because of pain, because of what happened to us. And begging Him, help me, help me, help me, help me. And even uh, we reach this state of forgiveness and we are in His arms, but still we are crying because we still remember these this, uh, this wounds which we cause ourselves through our foolishness. But slowly, slowly, through this purification, we cry less and less. And then this peace comes when, when we reach the purification. Peace in heart and mind. And then we might cry because of joy. This is the second type of tears we were talking about, which are not painful. All right. No questions? Nothing.
I said something and now you are silent. <laughs> you want to make these 10 pages. You were just perfectly clear. <sighs> Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> All right, so let's have another paragraph. The Hebrews, finding themselves in bondage and slavery to the Babylonians, are an image of willing sorrows, that is, privations and bodily labors to which the monk subjects himself in order to acquire repentance, as well as sorrows allowed by the providence of God for the purification of sins. The spiritual guide of ascetic laborers, tears, sends them a message from the ruins of Jerusalem on which they silently work in solitude. The message tells the ones in bondage that their deliverance will come after a certain time. There's a time for bitter tears, and the cup of sorrows, willing and unwilling, has its limit. These limits and times are determined by God, as the Holy David said, that feeded us with the bread of sorrow and givest us tears to drink in full measure. Thou hast put my tears before thee, even as in thy promise of mercy and salvation. There were days in which my tears were my bread both night and day, and they were followed by days in which, according to the multitude of sorrows in my heart, have thy comforts refreshed my soul. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, then we were like unto them that are comforted. Then was our mouth filled with joy and our tongue with merrymaking. The inspired Jeremiah speaks as from the mouth of God himself to the chosen nation, justly captured and exiled for their sins. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be at ease. The sorrows and pains of repentance contain within themselves the seed of consolation and healing. This mystery is revealed to the disciple of sorrow through tears. Yeah. Well. I don't know what to add to this beautiful, but we see that St. Ignatius uh, continues um, and he points to these tears and contrition of chosen nation during the Babylonian captivity. And uh, he's using this picture like to describe the state of a person who is um, who feels like pain over state of his soul in this earthly captivity exile, and uh, I think that this was nice. Uh, what he reminded us from Jeremiah that and this is this promise of. Uh, uh, promise of um, that they will gain freedom. I don't I can find the right word for that. What? Liberation. Yes. That there is this hope. He reminds them and yes for everybody uh, if you use this picture that this this uh, uh, in even like Psalms you know there there is a verses in one Psalm that uh, this this uh, is written that uh, they ask us to sing songs 
how can we sing songs if we are, you know, in land of exile? The same thing it is for us. We, we are not able to really to rejoice fully because we know that I'm in exile. And we are searching, we are have this hope for, for this freedom which is coming. If we are realizing where state of our soul, if we are, uh, if we know that, uh, that, we, that we need to turn to God for help and we cry over our state, so then we have this hope which is coming from God for us that we will be released from this exile, from this captivity, and we'll go to promised land. I, I, I like this part, I like this very part. This is, he's great how to, yes, Samuel. Would you say that, you know, the world is tempting us to forget our exile, and so um, while you're trying to, um, trying to cultivate the godly sorrow or fear of God, um, not forgetting the exile is where you start or um, uh, not, um, not letting the world distract you? Well, I would return back uh, previous paragraph we were talking about that I would not formulate it this way. This, this uh, effect of sin that our nose become darkened and, and turn from God to our intellect. We are doing this to ourselves that we are forgetting that we are in exile. Okay, it means that we are open to these impulses which are coming from the world, and because our, our mind is darkened, so we can we don't see that those are dangerous things. So, I I would say that uh, uh, it's it's we who are in uh, in this, and uh, and this is why uh, church. Christianity is ascetical religion. So it means that we learn truth from God through gospel. And we believe this is the truth. Even everything in us rebels and resists to this. And this is why uh, these, these holy fathers many times they say in the beginning you have to make violence towards yourself you have to force yourself because because you have to force your will because you don't see clearly yet but you are obedient to God's words God's instructions and you don't trust yourself, you trust God, and you follow that. And then slowly you will gain to this true vision. So it's just living the commandments. Yes. Would, would it be correct to say that the monk, in, whereas 
we try to avoid the exile, we try to deny the exile. The monk embraces the exile because it reminds the monk why he is here, or the, where, why we're in exile. It reminds us of our sins that placed us in exile, and it leads us to that repentance and uh, contrition, yeah. and that's where the tears come from, because we embrace the exile. Exactly. Perfect. Good summary. It's interesting because the one of the things that you remind me of is to read spiritual reading versus theology. Because yeah. Theology is the exercise of the intellect where it's our own knowledge, it's our own urges, it's our own agendas versus a reality of rootedness. Yeah, exactly, and this is this is something what what we we have to keep in mind that and don't trust ourselves really to see to understand that there's this through sin some of this darkness came to o- over our nose this mind and this is why we follow uh, God's will. This is why we keep commandments, God's uh, gospel commandments. So it's not only these ten commandments, but all this gospel. And uh, and slowly we are gaining understanding. And and it is and look once we start to do this, when we start this this journey, when we make this decision, then we start to see clearly what is in us. Um, there is like things that great fast is coming. Okay, Monday very strict fast. We eat almost nothing. And how many times I heard this this uh, experience? People told me that many times because they are busy, they are working, or there are a lot of. I said, they realize evening, oh, I didn't eat today. I didn't eat. I even, like, oh, I, I'm not even hungry. I'm so tired, I'm going to bed. I said, well, how easy it is to fast strictly many days during year. But on Monday, great fast, I stand, I woke, wake up. And first thought is, I'm hungry. <laughs> no, and, and this thought is like non-stop in, <laughs> like during the whole day in, in front of me. <coughs> <coughs> Why is that? Because the difference is that on this Monday I want to keep commandment of fasting. And always when I start this intention to keep commandment, resistance arise. Resistance or a passions arise. They start to resist. If I just don't eat because I'm busy, it's not I am I'm not eating because of fasting. I just don't eat because I don't have time. And so the passion has no reason to protect itself. You know? It, it's just slipping. I'm, it's fine, you know, this person is just crazy, workaholic, you know, so it's fine. I have this person in my hands. 
but once once you do start to do things uh, which uh, in order to keep commandments those passions are like crazy they come because they feel the threat uh, well you know what I mean you know it's not perfect explanation but Patrick and then Craig oh, no, go ahead Craig I was just going to tell a story no I was just you made you brought up a great point you said you wake up in the morning you're hungry when you're planning on fasting it seems like when I fast I can smell everybody else's cooking <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is I walk into someone it smells like somebody's cooking something there's always these little triggers yeah even when you're not hungry it's like a priest friend of mine had uh, Fridays off, and uh, he loved to go to the West Side Market, and there's this great bratwurst stand at the West Side Market. If you haven't been there, it's awesome, okay? And he'd go there every Friday, and he was sitting there one Friday, and he's eating his first bratwurst sandwich. He goes, you know, I'll have another one. So he orders another one, and he looks around and he goes, there's nobody here. Usually you're busy. And the guy looks and says, Fridays during Lent, we're usually not that busy. Because <laughs> 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 I'm going to hell on a, on a meat wrap. You know? <laughs> <laughs>